Hey everyone, welcome back to another Right Way podcast. I am so excited about today's guest. Uh, this one is like beyond fan personal hero, per- right? Personal hero. So t- on today's podcast, we are talking to the one and only Jessica Brody who is the author of more than 20 novels for teens, tweens, and adults. But I (laughs) um, often refer to her as just the save the cat, writes a novel, fucking genius. She has really created a blueprint for writers to create best-selling novels no matter what genre oh my god and you just like wouldn't suspect she's so humble she's so approachable she's so willing to talk about craft and process and the industry and all of its ins and outs you wouldn't expect that this is the mastermind behind the number one best-selling plotting guide for novelists she is such a prolific interesting human being who really in this interview today i feel like not only inspired me, but really teaches some new tools to push through that fucking writer's block and come out on the other side. Here she is um, with work translated and published in over 23 countries, option for film and television, the one and only Jessica Brody. Listen to it, read it, live it, know it, let it become your religion. Take notes. You are not going to want to miss this one. Hey guys, welcome to Right Way, a podcast where we give you insight to make informed decisions about your writing career. I'm your host, Rhea Fry, multi-published author and CEO and founder of Right Way. And I'm Joe Tower, writer, media producer, and Right Way's executive editor. On this podcast, Rhea and I will take an inside look at the publishing industry with honest and straightforward shop talk. So when you do get published, you'll know exactly what to do the right way. So... First of all, I just want to start off the top of this episode saying thank you for writing Save the Cat Writes a Novel. Um, (laughs) In our business, we literally uh, not only talk about your book, but we send out right way boxes, so gift boxes to new clients. And I often put the book in the box and we've joked about like buying them in bulk because I gift your book so often. So first of all, just thank you for writing that book and thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. That's an amazing introduction. (laughs) And um, I'm so grateful that you're spreading the word about the book. That's awesome. Thank you. Definitely. Um, (laughs) Before we, before we get into it, before we get into like your incredible level of expertise, can you just tell us, tell us a little bit about how you got your start writing? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, my story sounds like a lot of people's stories, like writing a novel, trying to get an agent, failing to get an agent, um, and just kind of going through that cycle. I this is now like 12, 12 years ago, I'm thinking, um, when I was trying to sell my first novel or get my first novel represented, and it was just not going well at all. Um, and it wasn't until I was introduced to the original Save the Cat uh, screenwriting guide that I realized everything I was doing wrong, which was that my book had basically no story or the story just really went nowhere. And um, so I read that book and it changed everything for me. And I I ended up uh, applying the principles that Blake Snyder lays out in the original book to my work in progress. Um, and from there, I revised it. I got an agent based on that draft. The book sold in like 10 days after submitting it, you know, submitting it to, um, it ended up selling to St. Martin's Press. And from then on, I just 
you know, I was like, okay, well this works. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't, I haven't really written a novel since that doesn't follow, you know, that doesn't use this methodology to help me break the story. And, uh, since then I've sold 20 novels to major publishers. So I kind of say like, you know, oh, I'm the proof that, that the method works. Cause I started out with, you know, just nothing but rejection letters. And now I have 20 books on my shelf. So which I want to, I want to speak to that for a second, because so many people who get published, you know, their first debut book, say it's nonfiction um, or fiction. We often feel like we have to stay in that little box. Like I'm a, I've written nonfiction, but I'm a domestic suspense writer for St. Martin's press. And for me to branch out, it's almost like I'd have to re rebrand myself or write under a pen name, but I feel like you, you have written 20 different books. A lot of them are in different genres. Um, so how have you done that? What is the key to that success and being successful across so many different types of writing? That's funny. I, I was doing a podcast yesterday and they asked me the same question. Oh, this is right. a hot topic. It's a hot topic these days, uh, yeah, genre yeah. hopping. Um, well, you know, I, I genre hop just to keep myself from getting bored. I, if I were to write the same type of story over and over, I would, you know, just go out of my mind. And, um, and I also think it keeps my writing from getting stale because, you know, when you're writing, I've written now 20 novels in the past, pretty much 10 years. And that's a lot of writing and that's a lot of different characters and a lot of different plots. And to avoid it from feeling like the same story over and over with the same themes and the same plot devices, um, you know, the genre hopping really helps me keep it fresh. So I, I write mostly for young adults and middle grade audiences. Um, so most of my books are for that age group. But then within those, I write sci-fi, I write contemporary, I write magical realism, um, I write comedies, I write dramas. So I, I, I try to um, move around a bit. And then of course I've ventured into nonfiction with Save the Cat Writes novel. Um, but you know, I think it's just a matter of curiosity and writing, you know, making sure that you're writing things that really inspire you and that you are motivated to write on a, on a deeper level than just, oh, this is what I think will sell. Um, you know, and it's important to keep in mind, like, if you want to be a published author one day, you have to, you know, you have to know what's selling, you have to know what the industry is looking for, those kinds of things. But at the same time, if you write something that you think you should write, I think you're just going to have a really hard time finishing it. Um, because inspiration always runs out and, you know, if, so if you don't have that kind of spark to begin with, it's, it's going to be really tough for you to go all the way through. So I chase sparks, um, and you know, I'll, I'll be like, you know, I haven't written a mystery novel, but I love reading them. I wonder what it would be like to write one. So now I'm thinking about writing a mystery novel. That would be my oh, next frontier. That. Yeah. So I think it's just a matter of, of keeping yourself, keeping it fun for yourself and keeping it fresh for yourself. Did your agent, oh, sorry, Joe, but like, oh, did, your, did your agent really support that as well? I mean, obviously um, I'm sure they do, but you know, some, some agents or your publisher, even your editors, like, nope, you're, you're fitting in like, seriously, like you can only write in this genre. It's even written in the contract. So like, how have you navigated that so easily? Or do you just have a really supportive team? That, that is a great question. And um, I'm with my third agent right now. My, I call him my, I call him my Goldilocks agent. Cause like, you know, they were <laughs> just like, right. the, the, yeah, the first one was like, you know, the to this and the second one was to that. And then he's just right. Um, but he is really supportive. And from the beginning, my goal was because I was starting to get pigeonholed 
through my publisher was, first of all, they only wanted me to write one book a year, which I was like bored out of my mind because I can write three or four a year. Um, they only wanted to release one a year. So that was the first problem. The second problem is they, yeah, they kind of kept wanting me to write the same type of book. Although, no, that's not true because I did write with that publisher. I did write sci-fi and um, contemporary. So that's not necessarily true. But um, but I wanted to branch out into middle grade and um, I wanted to write more books a year. So that was sort of when I when I signed on with my next agent, that was a criteria. I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, so when I was interviewing agents, I sort of looked into who, who would be the most supportive partner for those goals. Um, and my agent is great. Like, you know, so he, he got me set up with multiple publishers. So I have a middle grade publisher. I have a YA publisher. Um, I have a nonfiction publisher, which is really great because the contracts for all of those are stipulated like for her next middle grade novel, you know, they have to show it to us first. So that allows me to really play around. And I'm with Simon and Schuster now for my young adult stuff. And they've been really great too, of just like, oh, you want to write a sci-fi space opera retelling of Les Miserables after your drama? Okay, let's see it. You know, so that's been nice too. Great. Well, and I, I mean, that's like all incredible. I, I think all of that is so incredible. And like, um, and obviously we have listeners that are going to um, benefit from, from hearing that. I also want to discuss because we have a listenership, I think who not, not only do we have people that are looking to get published or people that are looking to like diversify in publishing, but we, we have a lot of listeners that are, are trying to like finish a manuscript. So you're talking about writing three or four books a year and, and chasing motivation. Can you also maybe talk for a second about just like keeping your energy up and how you handle time management? Yeah, I would love to. Um, I actually, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit because I use I use a method that I developed called fast drafting and I actually just released an online course about it. So you can find out about that on justbrady.com. It's called fast draft novel, fast drafting. It's actually for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of, it's actually now one of my most popular courses after the, I have a save the cat uh, companion course for novelists. Um, so fast drafting is all about forward momentum and it's, it's all about, uh, sitting down to write every day and writing forward and never backward, which means not only not revising anything you've written before, but keeping very detailed notes and uh, about what kind of ideas you have for revising so that you don't lose track of them. And then it employs using a strategy that I named uh, invisible revising, which is where you are always moving forward as though you made revisions that you want to make. So for example, let's say, you know, you're writing a mystery and you're, you're like halfway through and that you realize the character, oh my God, they really need to find some clue that back in chapter two in order for my next idea to work. Well, instead of actually going back to chapter two and spending like days putting that clue in, which then creates a ripple effect of all the scenes after that, you actually go back, you write a little note to yourself or keep it in a list somewhere. Okay, chapter two, introduce, you know, clue. And then you keep writing forward from the point where you where you had this idea as though you had already done that. So it's called invisible revising. It ends up, it like results in the most messy, ridiculous draft ever that no one should ever read but you because <laughs> plot points just like magically change, dogs appear and turn into cats in the next chapter, like it's such a mess. 
but it is the fastest way to get to the end um, and the fastest way to discover a first draft. And I always say that writing a first draft is just a nonstop discovery process, regardless of how much plotting you do in advance. Um, and in order to have clarity in what to revise, you have to have the full picture. You have to get to the end of the draft. So revising as you go, I think is like trying to do a puzzle when you don't have all the pieces. Oh so it's like, yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, I have no sky. Well, yeah, you're not going to have a sky until you actually get through and paint the sky. Um, so it's, it's sort of a, a thankless job to try to revise while you, while you write, because you have no perspective. So that's my strategy. And it's how I write three to four books a year is I just fast draft through the me like messiest first draft ever. And then I like have a very clear idea of how to revise it. So well, in, that there you go. Draft, <laughs> in that fast awesome. draft, how, how fast are you usually getting through that first draft? Um, it depends on the length, but uh, typically like Let's see, like for a middle grade novel that tends to be shorter, like, well, my middle grade novels are longer, but you know, like a 60,000 word manuscript I can usually do in like three weeks, um, three to four weeks. Um, my, I just, I just fast drafted, well, this last year I fast drafted the third book in our um, sci-fi Les Mis reimagining trilogy, um, which was actually 200, it ended up in the end being 212,000 words. The first fast draft was about 175,000 words. And I did it in, I think four months. So fast, <laughs> so <laughs> pretty fast. Yeah. Do you set like a word count that you try to get through every day or is it more organic than that? And you're just like writing for, you know, until you're done for the day or how, how do you break that up? Because you seem very practiced at this point, 20 books in. So do you have something that works well for you? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I, I break down in fact, when I teach people how fast draft is you have to be really regimented. You have to set goals for yourself. I use word count goals. Um, and, and you have to kind of say, I will hit this word count no matter how bad it is. And that is the key phrase is no matter how bad it is, because fast drafting is not about writing well. <laughs> at all. It's yeah. about discovering the book as quickly as possible so that you have clarity to revise it and make it good. Um, because again, I, th I think it's impossible to write a good first draft because it's just, you know, you're just stumbling around in the dark trying to, I also say it's like trying to decorate a house before it's built, you know, like where do you know where to put the furniture <laughs> yeah. until you know where the rooms are. Um, so I, I, it's a very messy process and it doesn't equate to really good writing. It just equates to fast writing, but it's, you know, you end up with a finished draft. Um, so I usually, yeah. Yeah, I love that though, because you're also talking about potentially making multiple discoveries for one given, one given plot point. And maybe you get to a point where you can, you, you can choose and it, you, you may not have discovered it. You may not have made that discovery otherwise. Yeah, so absolutely. Unlimited. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, it's so great because you create this list of things you want to revise. And by the time you actually get to revising, half of the list is just completely useless. Like it's, it doesn't even apply anymore. And so you think it's like the proof is in, is in that because you go back to your list and you go, Oh no, actually that doesn't apply anymore. I already changed that again in my head. That doesn't apply anymore. And you review, you, you sort of cross off half of your revision list before you even start. And then you, that just reminds you that, wow, if I had gone back and actually done those revisions when I had the idea, they would have been wasted time. Amazing. So 
You know, that really reminds me actually, and Joe and I have gotten into this lately, but time blocking, um, there's a something called a time block planner by Cal Newport, who wrote Deep Work and Digital Minimalism. We also talk about him a lot, but it's the same concept for work where, you know, you block out a specific, you block out your whole day. And then if during that block, if you come up with tasks that you have to do or ideas, you just jot them down as mm-hmm. you go and you do not break from that specific block. So that is such a brilliant idea for writers too. Cause I'm in a terrible habit of like, in order to get in the groove or just get inspired, I always review like, you Mm -hmm. know, what I did the day before, but then you're right. Like it leads you down the rabbit hole of just like, Oh, well, I'll just, I'll edit this and I'll just change this. And then you can kind of stall out, which is interesting. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a natural inclination for all of us. And and it, it ends up just not being the most efficient use of your time. It's not that it's wrong. And I always say like, you know, the other kinds of writing a novel, it's not wrong. It's just least, it's just less efficient in my mind because I find I can get more books done and done well if I do it this way. But it's interesting you bring up the time blocking because I actually, I do that with of different course. tasks throughout <laughs> my day. I just didn't realize it was like a thing. <laughs> oh my God, the time block planner, like it is joking awesome. about that too, because yeah. like, oh my God, it has changed my work day. Uh, yeah. Well, we're so, you know, especially now we're just so easily distracted and we're so like, Ping, you know, our brains are always like ping, ping, ping on all these different things. And like, if you don't believe me, just try meditating for five minutes. And, you know, it's, which I, I do meditate and try to, and try to, to try to diminish that, but it's, we're just so we're, we're taught that multitasking is a benefit and a, and like a good thing, but actually it just creates more distractions okay. and it, and it, and it, like, I think diminishes our ability to actually focus and finish things. Um, so I definitely block out my day. Cause you know, I'm not just working on a draft. I'm working on a course. I'm working on my, you know, on my teaching elements. And so I'm constantly like creating blocks in my day and, and keeping myself from straying too far away from what that task is. Well, let's, uh, let's also talk about your work day. I mean, obviously you've diversified, um, your, the, your, your platform into being more than just an author, but let's talk about author platform again, finishing a book is one thing, um, getting it published is another thing, getting it sold is, is, is something else entirely for new writers. What do you think is the most important thing to know when they go about building an author platform? In terms of marketing their book to readers? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's one most important thing because everybody, you know, everyone finds different ways to market and, um, and finds what's good for them. I think the most, I would say the most important thing is finding what feels natural to you because, and, and picking, you know, limiting yourself to a certain things that you can do well, because I think too many authors think, well, now I've got to be on Instagram and Pinterest and TikTok and do all the things. And then you don't do any of the things really well. So, you know, pick three things that you enjoy personally using, you know, like I hate Facebook. I am not on Facebook. Don't even get me started. (laughs) Like you will not find me posting there or doing anything there, but I do enjoy Instagram and I, you know, as much problems as I have with it, but I, I enjoy it as a user. So it's natural for me to be able to market that way. Um, you know, I, I enjoy blogging because it is a long form text and I'm used to long form text. So I do, I do blog. Um, so I, I say like, find the thing that you enjoy doing 
as a user because it will give you insight into how to do it as a marketer. Um, and then just, you know, pick three, three things that you can do really well and just focus there and kind of, again, just the focus management. Just don't worry about the rest of those things because oh you can't do it all. We, we talk about this all the time. And that's literally when we get to the marketing section, which is such a beast in our nonfiction book proposals. That is my first rule. I always give examples of very robust marketing strategies. And then I say, you know, go through this and delete anything that you do not want to do, like focusing yeah. on the things that you like. I mean, there are, I, I even get overwhelmed. Like I am, we're very anti-social media. We don't promote our business uh, with social media. We're word of mouth referral only, but I have a, a personal Instagram account and it, me too. I, it's the only one that doesn't make me want to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, but, I, but that's, it feels manageable to me to focus on yes, one to three things that you can do well and build, but I just took a week off of it. And I actually grew by being off of it, which makes no sense, but I was like, oh, okay, well, this is great. I'll just not try as hard. Um, <laughs> Get better so, results. Yeah, right? um, so yeah, author platform is something that is so important, but because you're such an expert in this space, what do you think is maybe the missing component or the most important element of creating a sellable novel and then creating a sellable nonfiction book? I don't know if I'm qualified to speak to the nonfiction because I, I, you know, I have my one nonfiction and I sort of fell into it and it had a built-in audience because of Save the Cat brand was already kind of acknowledged. But um, so I'm going I'm to skip that one. But in terms of, in terms of se a sellable novel, um, are you referring to sellable to the publishing industry yeah. or sellable to the, okay. Yeah, to the um, publisher. Yeah. So, you know, one thing is it's really hard to write to trends and um, I don't recommend writing to trends because trends go out of fashion so fast. And, um, and it's always important to note, which I'm sure you've told your audience before that publishing is a very slow business. So the books that are coming out today that you're hitting, you're seeing hit the New York times list um, are probably not the type of books that they're buying today. I mean, they could be, but it's, it's, a, it, those books were bought like two, one to two years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's not a great idea to be so sort of going, Oh, I see all of these, you know, like books coming out with this one theme. I'm going to write that book because chances are they've already bought a bunch of those um, and they don't want them anymore. So um, that there is exceptions to that when, you know, there's like a random breakout book that no one expected to break out. And then suddenly everybody wants that type of book, which, which mm -hmm. happens. Um, I think it's, I think it's happening in the young adult space with the book, um, One of Us is Lying, which was like, you know, mi mystery just never succeeded very well in the young adult space. And then that book came out with this great title, great premise, and, and did really well. And I think surprised a lot of people about it. And then suddenly now publishers are looking for mysteries. So there is exceptions. Um, you know, if you really kind of want to know what's selling right now, you should subscribe to Publishers Marketplace, which gives you like the sales of today. And you can really see what are publishers buying today. Um, but that being said, it's hard because there's so many things that 
could prevent your book from being sold. You know, your, the publisher could be like, oh, I, you wrote a tech thriller. I just, one of my tech thrillers just bombed. I'm not writing a tech, I'm not buying any more tech thrillers, which is what happened to me once. Um, <laughs> you know, like my agent just loved my tech thriller idea and we couldn't sell it because there was one tech thriller that had just come out and bombed and everyone was staying away from tech thrillers. And there's no way I could have known that was going to happen. So there are certain books that you're just going to, you're going to hit some bad luck uh, patches, but that doesn't mean that book will never get sold because the market is so cyclical. Um, I say instead of kind of trying to write to trends is that you should try to keep your, your uh, concepts as high concept as possible. I also have a whole course on high con how to create high concept ideas, but essentially high concept ideas are ideas that you can convey in one sentence that immediately um, the, the listener understands what the major conflict is, what the hook is, and what the, um, and, and why it's kind of an engaging idea. And so it's high concepts, a hard concept to break down, but um, I try to do it in my course and, and guide people through how to brainstorm high concept ideas, but anything that you can pitch in one sentence and it's immediately engaging is going to just yeah. give you a leg up. So for example, like two characters go on a road trip and become friends is not high concept because it's right. just, nobody knows why that's interesting. You might write the most amazing best friend road trip story ever, but nobody knows, nobody can tell. To, you know, an ex-boyfriend and ex-girlfriend go on a road trip together, suddenly you it's, that becomes high concept because you can immediately start to envision what the sources of conflict and why it's going to be interesting. And as a side note, that is one of my books. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, and yeah, I mean, that's brilliant. And it's, 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 that's totally how it's, it stands to reason that you got, you glean so much from Save the Cat because that's how the screenwriting industry works. Um, I want to, I totally want to talk about Save the Cat Writes a Novel. We love it so much. Um, we use it so often. I lived in LA for 10 years and I was a huge, huge beat sheet nerd. So to see you kind of turn that language on writing a novel, I, I just thought it was brilliant and amazing. Can you talk about the process of maybe writing that book and getting it published? Like how did, how exactly did that work? Yeah, sure. And I'm, thank you so much. I, I lived in LA too, and I was trying to be a screenwriter for a while. It did not work out. Know, um, same, same. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Writing and, so writing and selling a novel is so much easier. Uh, not easy, not easy, yeah. but easier. Easier. Um, yeah. yeah. So well, it kind of happened, like, it, I want to say it fell in my lap, but it, it kind of happened a bit accidentally. I started using Save the Cat, as I mentioned, to um, revise my novel and then to write and, and craft all my other novels. And then I sort of, you know, I was sort of starting to wonder, like, are other people, do other people know about this, like, secret method that actually works for novels, too? And I started blogging about my experience. You know, I, I posted a couple of my own beat sheets on my blog, and I was sort of blogging about this experience. And that got the attention of the people who run SaveTheCat.com. So the original author, Blake Snyder, is unfortunately passed away in That's 2009. Yeah. Um, but there's this amazing team of people that keep the whole um, the whole legacy and the brand alive. And I'm sorry, and, I hate to interrupt you, but there, it's also like what a resource because they just keep beat sheeting movies forever. Ever, and yes. it is such a cool resource. They they are great. Savethecat.com has great resources, free beat sheets, like ton. They blog, they do a new blog post every week. They do workshops. I they just announced I do a biannual 
biannual, twice a year. I never remember how you say that. <laughs> Semi-annual or biannual? I don't. Um, I do. I do a twice a year uh, masterclass webinar with them. That there was just the the new dates in April were just announced. So check out SaveTheCat.com if you want to look into that. Um, but so they do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, and they they reached out to me and said, can can we post your blog on our blog? And it was sort of like, like being contacted by your favorite celebrity. Like yes. I was just like, Oh my God, yeah. I was, I was very starstruck. So of course I said, yes. And they got so many, they got so much res great response. Like I'm a novelist and I was wondering how this would work. And uh, from there I continued to blog for them. Then, then we started teaching a in-person weekend workshop, which was just really instrumental for me in, in figuring out how to teach this method, not just how to apply it to my own books, but how to teach it to other people. And I, I did that for many years. And a lot of what I learned from there went into Save the Cat Writes a Novel um, in just the way it was structured, the way that I explain it, the way I break things down, because I saw firsthand where novelists got confused, you know, which beats didn't make sense, uh, the which was the most effective way to tell, you know, in which order to to guide people through the process. For example, one of the differences is in Blake's book, he has screenwriters start with a log line, like a one sentence pitch, and then go into the beats. And I found that novelists were just like, what? I have to like explain it in one sentence before I even know what the beats are. So we do it the opposite way. We do the beats first and then we condense down to the log line. Um, so things like that. And so anyway, all of that is to say, eventually me and the Save the Cat team, we sat down and we're like, okay, this is a thing. Like this is working for other novelists, not just me. Um, we should write a book. And so, um, you know, we are 50-50 owners of the copyright of that book. And uh, I wrote a nonfiction proposal, which you guys know a lot about. And uh, we, my agent went out and we we actually had a, I think it was like a three or four, four publisher auction for it. Oh, um, awesome. Which was really exciting. Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it, it comes with its own audience. So I didn't have to do as much of the work as, as maybe a new, someone with a new idea would. Um, but yeah, we sold it to a uh, 10 speed press and uh, that's the story. That's amazing. so amazing. amazing. And I mean, I think, I think actually it's such great advice is because you did have the built-in audience already. So you really set yourself up for success, like before it was even out there, which is amazing. Um, so one of the things I, I should say, one of the things I did do, which, which was, you know, a, a marketing effort that I came up with, which I think worked really well is, um, I started from the moment the book was announced. I have, I set up my website with a lead magnet and the lead magnet was, and it still is, and you can still get it. It's pretty much the same lead magnet. It's a breakdown of all 15 beats and three full beat sheets for popular novels so that people could see how it breaks down in a, in a novel. And I gave that, I give that away for free in exchange for your email address. And I knew I wanted to build a writer newsletter list right away so that when the book came out, I was able to, you know, promote directly to people who were already interested in Save the Cat. And that has been a really successful marketing strategy in terms of just, I'm a huge fan of lead magnets. I'm just like, give people information. Even if you think it's too much, give it to them because people will trust you when you give them really good free information. Oh and so I did that. And then by the time the book came out, I did a really big pre-order campaign where you got 10 extra beat sheets apart from what's in the book. Um, oh. as an, as a, like a bonus ebook, it was like a, I think 200 page bonus ebook if you pre-ordered the, the book. And I had an entire audience to market that pre-order campaign too. So the book 
like started out really well, you know, like, and then from then on, it's just sort of grown naturally. But um, we did a huge push to get that out there when the book first came out. And I love, I mean, I love that about nonfiction because, you you know, you can not only sell it forever, you can come up with so many cool incentives and freebies and downloads. Do you think like for selling fiction, what's equivalent to that for authors? Because I see a lot of like novelists get a little bit stuck because you're not solving a problem uh, like you are in nonfiction. And when people are reaching for nonfiction, they're reaching for fiction to be entertained, to be scared, to laugh, whatever it is. But having like a really successful sales strategy for fiction writers can be a little bit tricky. Do you, do you see a difference between the two and how you've marketed fiction versus nonfiction? It's, it's an amazing difference. And I will say once I got into nonfiction, I was just like, oh, this is how it's supposed to work. Because I feel like from the start of my career, you know, back 12 years ago, when I, my first novel came out, I feel like I have tried so many strategies that I don't think really paid off. And I mean, I've just, and you name it, I've tried it. And it is so hard, like you said, to get people interested in fiction, because like it, you know, you, you're not solving a problem. They're not coming to you with a pain point. Um, you can give away free stuff. Like I, there is a lead magnet on all of my reader related pages on my website where you can download the first three chapters of my next book for free. Um, that's, that's as much as I've been able to do for the lead magnet situation. Um, unless you're writing a series and people are already invested and then you can give them content related to the series, it's an almost impossible to get someone excited about fiction related content because they don't know the story. They don't know the characters. And like you said, it's such a personal, um, connection that they have to fiction versus like a more technical connection. Um, but I've just, it's been so fun for me because I, I am full of marketing ideas yeah. and now I'm just like, I'll just do it for save the cat. Cause I know it will work. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's such a frustrating, it is. frustrating but it, it can be a little frustrating. We actually just came up with this, um, called it's called fiction fundamentals kit but it's kind of equivalent to what a book proposal is for nonfiction. but it's trying to get the author to think about their book as an actual product to sell Mm -hmm. and really coming up with some cool different ideas and to approach it from like that high level overview versus like okay I just completed a book and I'm gonna sell it and it'll naturally find its readers because Mm -hmm. you know I, I feel like there there's a lot more that novelists could be doing but it's it can be like a little bit of deer in the headlights. Like, wait, okay. How, how can I push this without seeming pushy? <laughs> Get people. Yeah. To yeah. And it also, there, there's sort of no rhyme or reason when, well, there is, but it can feel that way that there's no rhyme or reason when things don't work. You know, you can have such a good marketing idea for a fiction and it just doesn't really get the results you were hoping for. And it's not because it wasn't a good idea. It's just because it's such a different, you know, in engaging with fiction readers is such a different beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fiction or nonfiction, what's a mistake that you see writers making sort of those mistakes that are kind of like time and time again um, on their on the path to publication? In terms of getting published? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Uh, Not reading Save the Cat writes a novel. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if there was one, that's it. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, I don't know if I, I would say there's a, a single mistake I see over and over, at least not what I can think of. Um, yeah. You know, there's sort of the basics of like, you need a really good query letter 
And, and if totally. you don't have one, then you need help to write one. Cause I mean, query letter writing is a whole different art. And as you guys know, it's, it's marketing. It's not, it's not creative writing. And it's almost like just, it's just really sad to me that, that fiction writers have to end up being query writers because it's, it's not a natural step for most <laughs> fiction writers. Um, we had but, this conversation know. about writing synopses in a, in a yeah. past episode where it was like, you really do have to switch into a totally different brain and it's yeah, kind of unfair. Exactly. Yeah. It is unfair. It's like a disservice to creative writers, but, yeah. but it is, you know, one, one thing that I do love about query letters and why I put a whole section in save the cat rights novel about how to write a, a pitch, you know, um, I, I say how to write a log line, how to write a short synopsis um, based on, yeah, I kind of give like a template to help writers. But one thing that really is, I think important, and even though it's unfair and writers are not normally good at doing this, one thing that writing a synopsis or a query letter or a pitch about your book forces you to do is it forces you to really think about what your book is about. And if you can't write, if you can't condense your book in an engaging way down to, you know, two or three paragraphs, then your book is not ready. And so a query letter actually becomes a really good self-test of like, can I tell someone, a stranger, what this book is about in a, um, in a condensed, engaging way. And if I can't, then I don't know what my book is about. I I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've asked a writer, what's your book about? And like, you know, oh 20 minutes oh later, God. we're always I like, still don't yeah. know. if you ask, what, exactly. if you, if I ask a client what their book is about and, and that's, and that begins with, well, it's sort of like, then <laughs> we have to go back to formula. Come yeah. Forward. Yeah. So it does, it's structurally, it's a really good exercise to whether you're trying to write a query letter or not is to condense your book down to its simplest form and and basically tell someone what it's about. Yeah. And if you don't know, then you haven't quite figured out the book yet. That's great. Was, what yeah. part of the process, this whole process, so from concept to doing your fast draft, to editing, to um, publishing the book, promoting the book, what aspect of the process do you enjoy the most? I love writing pitches. <laughs> I mean, oh, writing pitches. I, awesome. Yeah, I, I actually I actually sell all my novels on proposal. So I meaning I don't write the full manuscript before I sell it. Um, and, and that's not something you can do necessarily at the beginning of your career. Most especially a new author has to write the full book. Um, and with the exception of one of my books, I think every single book I've written and published in, since my second novel has has been sold on proposal. Um, and I just I prefer it that way because I love writing synopses. I know I'm weird, but I love sort of breaking the story that way. And I find I write really, really in-depth synopses. Like they're almost like a first draft. And I, I kind of try to discover the story as much as possible in the synopsis form because it's so much easier to, you know, fix. Um, so I love writing synopses. I love writing like a sort of a little pitch for my book. And, and I, you know, proposals or whatever. So I do love that part of the process. And then I sell the book and it's really exciting. And then they're like, now you have to write it. And I'm like, oh, Oh, (laughs) damn it. I just did. I just did. Um, Can you take us through a typical writing day for you? Like a typical work day? Sure. Um, Well, I have a very strict, stringent uh, routine that I follow uh, pretty religiously, like a, like a monk. Um, I, (laughs) uh, so I, I, when I wake up, um, my biggest rule is I'm not allowed to do anything 
that could potentially distract me from my writing until I've written. So that includes no TV, no radio, no phones, no internet, nothing. Like I don't turn on a screen unless it's my manuscript. Um, so I, I wake up so that to, to accomplish that, I sleep with my phone in another room. I've been doing that for like seven years now. It has made the, the biggest difference. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm like, people sleep with their phones in their room. Same. Um, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, no, it's just like that simple thing of not checking my phone first thing in the morning was like just a game changer. I, if, I, if I were to tell writers to do anything, like nothing else, just don't check your phone in the morning before you write. I, I guarantee you it will change your life. Um, but anyway, so uh, I do that. I, I don't check my phone or even pick up my phone until I'm done writing. So when I wake up, I take my dog for a quick walk around the yard. Um, we play a little ball. I, I meditate. I do a gratitude journal. That's where I just write down 10 things I'm grateful for. I also write down sort of my short-term goals just to kind of keep my head in the right space. Um, and I will write down like my six focus things that I'm focusing on today. Like these are the six things that I am going to put my head on. Um, then I, you know, I have breakfast. Um, <laughs> my other weird hack is that I only drink coffee when I write and I I've trained myself. I will drink tea throughout the day, but I've trained my body and my brain to like associate the taste and the feel of coffee, the, the caffeine boost of coffee with writing. So I, I end up kind of hacking the caffeine and making it work for me. Um, so I, I only drink caffeine or drink coffee when I write. And so I sit down and I write my 1500 words, usually 1500 to 2000 words. It takes me in the drafting phase. It takes me about would say 90 minutes to two hours. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, you know, then the rest of the day is spent sort of doing all the other things like, uh, working, you know, I have this writing mastery Academy where all my courses are working on that. Um, I'm usually juggling more than one project at once. So my afternoon block is usually dedicated to a different project. Um, um you're my spirit animal. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean the way that is very similar to how I approach my day, except, you know, with our business, Mm -hmm. I've gotten in a terrible habit. We have so many clients and we're working on these hundred page proposals and editing. And, you know, so it's, it can sometimes be like, no, I'll just, I'll, I'll knock out a few of those tasks first. But what you just said totally reinforced the way that I need to start structuring my days. I'm the same way with the phone, um, with the meditating, with the gratitude journal, but I absolutely love that routine, I think if every writer could dedicate that time, because we all say, oh yeah, I just, I don't have time. And then they're mm -hmm. on their phone for four hours every day. So <laughs> you do have Yeah, time. I actually, I tell writers to use the, you know, iOS has it and I know Android has it too, but there's a screen time setting and oh, yeah. it will literally tell you where you spend your time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I tell people, make it a game, reduce it by a 10% every week. Well, and you I can like, limit, you can set limits. I, I have limits. I have yeah. social media yeah. limits. So like right. when I have 15 minutes on social media a day and that's it. So when those 15 minutes are up, I'm like, okay, social media is done. Awesome. My God, it's amazing. Um, so with publishing in general, and because you kind of have your hands in, in different sides of it, do you see any trends that you are really interested in with, with publishing in general, or, you know, there's some new, I feel like digital publishers, hybrid publishers are, are kind of like creeping up a little bit more, but do you see any certain trends that you really like? Um, I'm not sure I really follow that many trends, yeah. to be honest. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I kind of stick to my lane, which is 
mostly just helping writers craft, you know, and, and helping writers become more productive writers and to tell better stories. And the publishing side of it, like sort of the business side of it, it's not that I stay out of it. It's just that I'm not, I don't find myself as well-versed there and I don't fall because I don't follow the trends. I'm not sure I'm quite qualified to say like, Oh, this is happening. Writing best-selling novels. That's why (laughs) (laughs) you put your time there, which is amazing. (laughs) Um, What do you, uh, is there anything you can talk about that you're working on next? Um, Yeah, I, well, I'm taking a little break from novels. Um, I, I finished, uh, two or three novels last year and uh I have two coming out this year and so I am I'm taking a break to to focus more on my teaching I'm developing a new course right now it's a complete novel revision course which is a beast uh, I thought it was going to be a really simple course it's like yeah just step one revise um but it's actually much more complicated <laughs> yeah so I'm I'm sort of I'm working on that that will be out soon and um I actually do have a secret save the cat related project in the works that I, I I will be able to talk about very shortly. I'm, I'm bummed that this interview wasn't like a week from now. Cause then I could have yeah. talked about it, but yeah. Well, keep, hey, keep your it, eyes will, open. Hey, it will be not, um, it's not going up until you want it to go up. So if you do want to talk about it, we can totally edit that part out and, you can. and well, I'm not, <laughs> of course, I'm not, I, <laughs> I'm not sure exactly when the news is going to be broken. So I, I probably should just stay mo- I'll tell you guys after the recording's over. Yeah, <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I appreciate that. Uh, So we always love to end these interviews with a little lightning round of questions. So just really, really saying the first thing that pops into your head. So no pressure. (laughs) Yeah. I love these. I love lightning rounds. Yes. Yes. Okay. So best moment as a published author. Um, when a girl showed up at one of my book signings with a shirt that she had designed and she wrote quotes from the book all over the shirt okay, and it was oh, pretty cool. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, what's the most important thing you've learned on your path to publication? Uh, that you can't write a perfect first draft. Love it. Love that. <laughs> Favorite thing to do when you're not working? Play with my dogs. One thing I have, you I have wish... very needy dogs. <laughs> no, I, I love mean, that though. That's adorable. One thing you wish all writers knew. Uh, geez. I, one thing I wish all writers knew. Um, that right, that writing is bad. Like that, that it's okay to write badly. I think mm, too yeah. many, I know this is not a lightning round answer. Too many writers expect to write good and then quit when they're not good. But part of writing is learning how to write bad so that you can revise. And I wish, I think if more people understood that more novels would be finished and less people would quit. Oh my God. I love that is, that's amazing. That's a quote. That's a t-shirt quote. <laughs> there you go. Um, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, helping writers tell better stories. I, I, I think, you know, I love writing my own stories, but I'm not sure it's quite as rewarding as when someone says, I fixed my novel because of you and I got it published. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. True. Absolutely. How do you stay balanced? A focus management, you know, just keeping limits on my phone um, keeping limits on, on everything and just minimizing distractions. Um, I, I use a technique that I call ruthless prioritization, which is basically like, if it does not fit in your priorities, it should not take up any part of your day. Oh my Whoa. God. You are just like, I need a book of Jessica Burry quotes. This is amazing. <laughs> um, wine or beer? 
Wine. Oh gosh, no beer. Yeah. <laughs> fiction, fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. There we go. Awesome. Best book you read in 2020. Oh God, I read so many books. Um, I loved Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Yes, yes. What types of writing would you like to see more of in the world? Oh, types of writing I'd like to see more of. I don't know. I just think everyone should write what they want to write and, you know, you be you and we'll read it. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Oh yep. my God. Yep. <laughs> I will read it. If it if it's organic and comes from your heart, I will read it and love it. I will read the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah. You said it, I didn't say it. <laughs> Who's one author everyone should read? Sophie Kinsella. It's the she's my favorite. And I just think she's not underrated because she's completely amazing and, and successful and best-selling. But I don't think as many writers read her as they should, and she is an amazing plotter. When is her, what, what was her last book? Oh, she has so many. Uh, the last one to come out was called Love Your Life. Okay. Um, she's known for her Shopaholic series, yeah, which I think is, it. you know, if if you're into the Shopaholic series, they're great, but her standalones are also really excellent. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, great. Um, we will include all of it in the show notes, but where can our <laughs> listeners find you? And uh, you're not only about your books, but also your, the classes that you teach and any of those digital courses that you do, um, where do they, where do they go? So the portal is at jessicaverde.com. Um, just right along the top, there's online writing courses. You can find out. Um, essentially, I run a Writing Mastery Academy, which is an all-you-can-consume online writing school with streaming on-demand content. So we have nine courses on there right now, including all the ones I mentioned. Um, it's very affordable. It's $12 a month. My um, One of my big things was I did not want to have elite-priced courses. I wanted to have affordable courses because I never want the price to be the barrier to learning how to write. Mm. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a subscription service, uh, you know, sort of cancel whenever you want, pay by the month. And um, we also do live webinars every month that's included. You get access to all of our past webinars that have been recorded. Um, and there's bonus content. There's a community of all the writers that have joined. So it's a really cool uh, place that we've built. Me and my husband built it together and uh, I hope you check it out. Awesome. That's amazing. And thank you so much just for everything you do for writers, for this community. It can sometimes feel a little insular, isolated. And I think mm -hmm. just what you're offering and, and how you're constantly involved in the community is, is so amazing and so inspiring. And just thank you so much for spending time with us today and imparting all of your wisdom. And I'm getting like 10 t-shirts with all of those. <laughs> I'm going to rock Absolutely. them. <laughs> So thank you so much. Thank you guys. This was really fun and great questions. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Right Way Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment and help us continue to deliver the content you want and need. And for more information about Right Way, visit rightwayco.com to get more info on all our editorial and developmental services and sign up for our weekly newsletter where we'll be sharing exclusive content, access to digital courses, and offering proprietary resources for aspiring and established writers. 